0: Coming up on Stu Does America, Chad Felix Green returns to the program to debunk more of the less ridiculous LGBTQ-themed attacks on President Trump. And Jeffrey Tubin has an incident with his own tube and is now suspended from The New Yorker. We'll take a mercifully short look at that story. Check us out on YouTube uh, Just search out for my name, Stu, and I will be the first one there. Subscribe and hit that little bell icon that notifies you when we post. We're also a podcast, if that's your thing. Head to your favorite provider and check it out. Be sure to leave a five-star rating and a review that I can read at the end of the program. And be sure to have a Blaze TV subscription handy for our special debate coverage. It's this Thursday. You know, assuming there is actually a debate. If you're not signed up, go to blazetv.com slash Stu and be sure to use the promo code Stu because that's how they know you like this stupid show, and you'll save 10 bucks. I know I depressed a lot of you last week with my electoral breakdown, so I'm back this week to do it all over again. So, sorry, uh, you know, I really am, of course, but as a good friend of this network once said, facts don't care about your feelings, but my feelings care about pancakes. That last part is kind of my little addition to that, but it works either way. Let's do the battle for the Senate. Stew does America welcome back i am standing for two consecutive episodes i know you're very excited about that i will say unlike cnn's jeffrey Tubin, i'm wearing pants that's how we roll here on the program uh, we're going to do the senate map today if you missed friday's show we did the entire electoral college this is going to be the, the sort of chalkboard that we use for the radio show as well uh can i keep you updated as to where we are In the race at any given moment, we like to do this because the races change when we have polls that show a little movement. We'd like to move the little magnets around, give you kind of a current count as to, you know, if the election started today, which it does not, uh, what would would be the result? If you didn't like the results that I kind of proposed on Friday, which was Biden with a, a lead, not insurmountable lead, but a lead, if you didn't like that, which you probably didn't. You're going to really be interested in this because the Senate is incredibly important, especially if Trump somehow loses this election, uh, which is very possible, guys. It's very possible. If you don't have the Senate, we're going to have some real, real trouble here. Uh, So we're going to go through each uh, category. Now, we start the way this works. Uh, At the top, you see the solid uh, Democrat with 40 uh, seats, solid Republican with 38. That takes into account both the uh, elections that are um, kind of blowouts, you know, states where we all know that the Democrat or the Republican is definitely going to win. And then in addition to that, also elections that aren't even happening. Obviously, a bunch of senators are not even up for re-election this year. Those people already counted in those in those charts. 40 to 38 is sort of our starting point with the Democrats taking the lead. So let's start with our first category. This is likely uh, Democrat. Uh, we're going to have a few here. This is, of course, Virginia. Uh, This one's not really a particularly close race at this point, but close enough that we'll keep it on the board for now. New Hampshire was one. I think there was some hope to take out Jean Shaheen, but it's not going to happen. Does not look like this year. Uh, Minnesota as well. Uh, Tina Smith likely to win there, though. It's a little closer than maybe some people would have expected. And uh, New Jersey, Cory Booker is going to remain in your life. And that's something we can all cheer. Of course, four states go into the likely Democratic category. Gets you to 44 for the Democrats. Uh, Over the Republicans, they got a bunch of uh, likely ones as well. You don't think Mitch McConnell is going to lose this election, do you? He never loses. That's what I've been told. Mitch McConnell, uh, cocaine Mitch, going to be coming back for another six years. He'll be in your life for another six. Tennessee, not really a, a strong chance that the uh, uh, democrats can get that seat mississippi's been a little closer not a lot of polling there um it's been a little closer than uh people would have thought but that's still going to be likely a republican kansas is odd i I will say kansas is one of these i mean kansas obviously is going to go republican right the polls have been really oddly close in kansas do i really think uh that uh i mean do you really think republicans are going to lose kansas i will say There there are some scenarios in in a Democratic wave sort of world, if that were to happen, where Kansas actually goes to the Democrats, I still find it to be highly unlikely. We're going to keep it in the likely Republican and Alabama. This is an interesting one, mainly because who is currently the senator there is Doug Jones. If you remember Doug Jones, he's the guy that came in and took advantage of the Roy Moore uh, nomination by the Republicans, uh, kind of uh, beat Roy Moore. No one expects him to win the seat. The Democrats have already given up on the seat. Um, It looks Overwhelmingly uh, certain that Alabama will go back to the Republicans, which obviously is where it belongs. The issue there is we keep it on the board because it's a Democrat; it's a pickup for Republicans. It gives them five uh, likelies and gets them to 43. You can see this is shaping up to be a little tight. Uh, let's go back over to the leaning Republicans here, um, and this one—or or excuse me, leaning Democrats—will go here. Uh, New Mexico. First of all, we got a couple of—I uh, mean, there's honestly not a lot of polling on this race. My guess is. When we get polling on this race, it's going to move from leaning Democrat to likely Democrat. Uh, but we don't have a lot of polling. We're going to kind of keep that in the leaning Democrat for at least the time being. Uh, Colorado, also leaning Democrat. Now, this is, of course, Cory Gardner. Uh, Cory Gardner, the current senator, Republican from Colorado. Now, if you remember back in 2016, there was a, uh, a race um, and a commercial writ, uh, ran by NARAL that basically said, hey, remember, it was like, hey, sweet pea. Did you know that Cory Booker's going to ban, or excuse me, Cory Gardner's going to ban birth control? And uh, then they just kept saying that over and over again. Like, I went to find condoms and they don't make them anymore. Oh my gosh, Cory Gardner banned birth control. He didn't ban birth control. So there's two ways to look at this. Um, you, know, you could say, well, he didn't ban birth control. That was Those fears were totally ridiculous. But could it be that Republicans and, and the Colorado uh, population really wanted him to ban birth control and he never did it? So now they're like, hey, you let us down, Corey. I mean, that could be it as well, because right now the polls favoring uh, uh, the Democrats here by about, I want to say, eight or nine points. So it's not looking that tight. And Arizona is another interesting one. I have this leaning Democrat right now. This is a race. um, This is Martha McSally, who, of course, just got this gig. So she runs against Cinema, Very tight election. Loses that election. Then they have an opportunity to name a a senator replacement for John McCain uh, as he passed away. And they, they decided to name Martha McSally. Now, Here's someone with half the population just voted for. You might say that's an obvious choice, right? Like that's a good choice for Republicans. You know, it's going to be a Republican pick. On the other hand, and there was some arguments at the time, if McSally just lost an election, do you appoint her right afterward? People might say, well, you took someone who we told you we didn't want in there. And now you put her in there. Maybe they should have just taken someone completely off the board. They decided to use McSally uh, there. She she uh, you know served for a short time and now has a special election here. And right now is losing. The Democrats have a pretty good candidate here, which is Kelly. He's the guy who is the um, uh, former astronaut. He's the husband of the, the, the congressman, congresswoman who was shot uh, several years ago. So you have a this is a pretty good candidate. And right now, the Democrats are winning that one. Uh, by about seven or eight points. That's uh, three more leaning uh, Democrat. Then we go over to the leaning Republican side here. Again, there's a couple of weird states. Kansas is one of them, Alaska's another one right now. Now, Alaska's notoriously difficult to poll. That's because there's only eight people in a state the size of uh, South America. Now, that's why it's hard to poll. They can't find any of the people. They just ask if an Eskimo walks by them, they ask him, who are you voting for? And then they just say that person's ahead. That's how polling works in Alaska. I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. But Alaska's actually relatively close. I, you know, some of these polling experts think he's uh, there's about a 25 percent chance that the Republicans lose the state. A little more optimistic than that. But there is a chance here that that could happen. Uh, Georgia is an interesting state, as always. Georgia look, states can have their own little election systems. Maine does a weird one for the presidential election. Nebraska does a weird one for the presidential election where they hand out electoral votes to congressional districts. Georgia's got the runoff thing. And the runoff thing, honestly, for us people not in Georgia, kind of annoying. I'm sorry, Georgia. It would be nice if you guys just kind of got this over on election night like everybody else. Okay? That's what we want. But what happens here is if no one gets to 50% in the Georgia elections, they have a runoff election later on. Now, In some ways, I like that. Right. I I think that there is an argument to be made that instead of uh, just someone winning with 37 percent of the vote, more than 50 percent of the people are eventually going to vote for a candidate. And that's kind of good, I guess. uh, You know, on the other hand, though, it's annoying for me. Okay, now, this race I have over in the leaning Republican uh, side of uh, of the aisle. Specifically because this is the one where there's multiple candidates on the Republican side. So what happens here is you have two Republicans and one Democrat vying for first and second place. It's very unlikely that anyone gets to 50 percent in the normal election. If you get to 50 percent in the normal election, they don't have the runoff. But if you can't if no one gets to 50 percent, they take the top two candidates and they put them against each other and they say, run it off. Someone get 50 percent. OK, so in this race, you have two Republicans and one uh, Democrat. So likely what's going to happen is and it could it could honestly be that two Republicans make it to the runoff. But most likely what happens here is one Republican and one Democrat go to a runoff and we won't have that election until I think it's January. Right. I think it's January. The issue here. And I think the reason why I have it leaning to the right is there's a lot of passion right now for the presidential election in Georgia. Georgia's a swing state, a legit swing state. Some polls have. Joe Biden ahead in freaking Georgia. It's hard to imagine that he's ahead in any state, but he's ahead in Georgia in, in some polls. So there's going to be a lot of passion for Democrats in Georgia to get to the polls for the presidential election. If there's a runoff that moves to January where the presidential election, hopefully, has already been decided. So if that happens, there's not going to be that super passion for uh, the, uh, the the presidential election on the ticket. Maybe there's not as much attention on this race. Usually the turnout's way down for a runoff. You kind of think maybe Georgia reverts to the mean and goes the way that their state usually goes, which is Republican. So we have that leaning right right now. Uh, though that, that, When we get more polling on that, that could honestly be a toss-up. And uh, another leaning Republican. Again, I expect John Cornyn to pull through here in Texas without too much of a problem. Right now it's a lean right because there's a couple... There's a couple uh, polls that have that race pretty close, but honestly, I don't think Cornyn's going to have a problem there. Uh, The presidential election is a little bit closer. I still think Trump pulled that one out as well. Three in the lean Republican category. Finally, we have toss ups and in the toss up uh, section in the toss up section, we have a bunch. Now, here's here's another story about Georgia, because we're talking only about Georgia today. The other race, which is Purdue. There's only two people. There's like this is more of a traditional race. You got one Republican, one Democrat. Much more likely that someone gets to 50 percent in this race. If someone does get to 50 percent, it's likely to be Purdue. though I will say there's some polls uh, that have it going through the Democrats. Um, So this one is a toss up right now, could go either way, but it's more likely this one gets decided on election night if that happens. Democrats have a better chance. If on the other hand, this goes to a runoff, I would probably move it back over to the leaning uh, Republican side for the reasons I just talked about. Uh, Michigan is a tossed up race. This, this is a bit of optimism here for me, um, mainly because I like John James quite a bit as a candidate. He's a good Republican candidate. Uh, We've had him on the show. I like him. I'd like for him to be more competitive. I, I think the race there are polls that should, there's one poll that just came out that had John James only down by one to Gary Peters. I tend to think Peters is probably a few points ahead, but it's within reason to say that James could win. For now, we're going to start that off in the toss-up category. Uh, Maine, Susan Collins. Now, this you could say, is Susan Collins really a Republican anyway. It's not a terrible point, but occasionally she votes the right way um, where whoever who's I can't remember who she's running against. uh, I can't remember. I don't know. I can't think of her name, but she uh, she's not going to vote for the Republicans ever. So Collins, probably the better option, probably the best you could do in Maine, frankly. Uh, But that one is close. And I would say Collins is the slight underdog there. Uh, Montana is an odd one. Uh, Now, you think Montana, you think that's a that's a red state, right? Obviously, it's a red state. and, and there's an incumbent Republican, Steve Daines, is there, and he should win this, right? Well, they're running the governor, Steve Bullock. You remember him from the presidential uh, race for the Democrats, in which he uh, was able to poll almost 1% in several of the, uh, uh, of the races. Um, but he's now tr- he converted, went over to uh, run for uh, Senate, and that race is very close there. The same thing happened in Colorado, by the way, with uh, Hickenlooper. I remember him, of course, from the presidential debates as well, where he got. Well, he never actually got to one percent. He was at zero percent pretty much the whole time. But apparently he's doing okay in Colorado. Um, Iowa is an interesting one. Joni Ernst was at one point thought to be sort of a rising star among Republicans. I can't really put a finger on why she's not doing better. Uh, Iowa has been one of those states. It was Purplish for a long time, Uh, went to Barack Obama, bounced back to Trump. Trump won it, I would say, surprisingly easily in 2016. He's been favored to win this entire time in 2020. But the race uh, is in Iowa for the presidential side, truly a toss-up. And then Joni Ernst has not been able to separate herself at all from the uh, presidential race, which is a bit of a surprise. I kind of thought she would win this one relatively easily. Total toss-up right now. South Carolina, we throw on here. I don't know what to think about South Carolina. It's hard for me to believe they're going to vote Lindsey Graham out. I kind of wanted Lindsey Graham to get voted out in every other election I've ever seen because I just I just not a fan of Lindsey Graham. Uh, I just don't think he's that great. However, he's kind of turned around, I think, with the base lately. He's been big on the investigations. He was very good during the Kavanaugh hearings. So people have kind of switched a little bit from Lindsey Graham's the most annoying senator on the Republican side to ah he's, maybe he's doing a good job. I don't know. I think Lindsey Graham kind of says whatever he feels like he needs to say to benefit him at any given moment. Kind of my thought on him. The race is oddly close in South Carolina. Again, I, I, I do expect Lindsey Graham to pull that one out right now. We're going to call it a toss up. And in North Carolina, that's that's the Cunningham Tillis race. I, it, that's an interesting one as well. Cunningham has done really well, raised a lot of money. Tillis is a guy you're like, was he really, is he a really a senator? Like who? I think most people are like, wait, what? That's like um, John Tyler. He's, you know, he's president of the United States. Who? John Tyler? Was that, is that really a guy? Really was a guy. It's true. This is like that. Here. I mean, I feel like you're like, oh yeah, they have a bunch of, oh, North Carolina, is that, uh, who is that? Tillis? Never heard the name Tillis. I think that's how most people would think about this. In North Carolina, you probably know him, though. He's going up against Cal Cunningham, who seemed like he had a lead uh, where, like, Tillis is actually running behind Trump in North Carolina. Um, And then there was this big scandal that happened. And Cal Cunningham is like, I'm, you know, he's like sexting random women. Um, He admits to it, comes out. It's all out in the open. And then what happens, obviously, you know, after a sexting scandal— Kyle Cunningham's polls went up. It seems like people liked the sexting. Who knows? It's 2020. That's kind of what you expect. There's seven races in our uh, toss-up rating right now. So if you do some, I'm going to do some crazy math for you. Do we have, we have these numbers? Um, I don't know if you can follow it. Okay. Uh, Let's do the Republicans here. It's 38. Come on, boys and girls. 38 plus five likely. That's 43. Three leaning. That's 46. We are going to give 46 leaning towards Republicans right now. If this is, is this making you nervous yet? Uh, we're going to have seven toss-ups, of course, in the middle. And then on the Democratic side, we've got 40 solid, four likely Democrat, three more leaning Democrat for a total of 47. Now, I don't think I need to explain to you the rules of the Senate. But I will say, you have a pretty freaking close race here. Now, I will say I think the Senate looks better than the presidential race at this moment. If you look at this, they are absolutely winnable races. You have to get four, four senators. You have to get four out of these seven here in the middle if you're the Republicans to take control of the Senate if Trump wins. If he loses, you've got to get five of the seven. You kind of look at this, and I would say you're probably going to get Georgia. You, you're probably going to get Iowa. You're probably going to get South Carolina. That's three right there. If I had to guess on those three, I would say they're probably going to go Uh, to the Republican side. And I think there's a very good chance you also get Montana, though that's a tight race. You're probably losing Michigan. You're probably losing Maine. And I would say at this point, it feels like they're going to lose North Carolina too. Very good chance, I would say, uh, a 50-50 situation in the Senate. Very good chance. I think there's also a possibility of getting to 51 for Republicans. Anything really, though, between 46 and 53 is in play right now. Uh, And in a real way, I I mean, Maine, you know, I don't I I really think with the exception of Lindsey Graham. And I would be surprised if Peter's lost. I could really see any of those races going either way. This is going to be a tight one, man. This is going to be one that we hate going. and, and, And I will say, too, likely we don't find out. Uh, that night, because there's two races in Georgia and they're going to screw with us. Georgia, you're screwing with us again. Now, I know this is tough to talk like this to you when the Braves just had their evening uh, this week. Last night was tough, tough night for Braves fans. I understand. I hate to beat up on Georgia today. But it does feel like that's kind of where we are right now that we go to. If you take out the two Georgia races, there's a good chance we go into that night. Something like 49-49 with two Georgia races to go. And if that happens, I will tell you, there will be plenty of passion. There will be so much turnout that night for that Senate race in January. And we may not know until then who actually wins. But this is the state of the Senate right now. 47 likely uh, and leaning Democrats, Republicans, 46, seven in the middle. Good God almighty, this is going to be a freaking rough night. Two weeks from tomorrow. Also want to tell you one more uh, thing before we leave. Thursday night, debate coverage here again. Live, Stu America, uh, at, when do we start, 8 o'clock? 8 o'clock uh, Eastern time, that will roll into live debate coverage. Um, where you get to see the whole thing. And then uh, we're going to do, I think we're doing a post-show too after. I know Glenn's going to be there. I'm not sure who else. We'll have a great crew there for you. Going through all the debate coverage, everything that you needed to know, all the good, mem- uh, good points, all the playing back some of the clips, the big moments from the debate. And then we'll have more on radio and on this show, I'm sure, the next day. There's your Senate. 47 Democrats, 46 Republicans, seven in the middle. Back in a second. I want to tell you about Black Rifle Coffee Company. They offer a variety of roast profi- profiles from light, medium, and dark. All the colors of the rainbow. It's called inclusivity. That's what it's called. Uh, it's all sourced from around the world, and they have a rigorous process uh, that is uh, going on in the United States. They want to make sure they have the best stuff for you. The roasting process is fantastic. The best way to enjoy Black Rifle Coffee is through the Black Rifle Coffee Club. It's a free subscription where your chosen coffee is roasted, packaged and shipped free to your door on schedule. So you never run out of it. You always have the best coffee available because that's Black Rifle Coffee. These guys are veteran owned. They're awesome guys. They get you access to uh, to uh, all sorts of cool content and, and merch and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and they just give you the best coffee. Uh, so why would you do this? purchase your coffee at blackriflecoffee.com/stew. Be sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll get 20% off your first purchase. It's blackriflecoffee.com/stew. Use the promo code stew for 20% off. blackriflecoffee.com/stew. I'm joined once again by author Chad Felix Green, author of the new book, Without Context, Evaluating the Anti-LGBT Claims Against the Trump Administration. Brought on Chad uh, last weekend, kind of ran out of time as we were diving into the meat of the book. So we want to jump back in. Thanks for coming on again, Chad. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: I'm surprised that a gay man would here defend the most hate-filled president uh, of all time against every group, including uh, LGBT groups. That's what I'm told at least.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's it's all that self loathing my husband and I have for uh for our, our for who we are, apparently. Yeah. Um, I, you know, honestly it's it's funny. I've been told that since bef- right before we got elected. Um there's always been this panic that, you know, he was this this even worse than Bush somehow. Um and it just turned out to be, you know, nonsense. Year after year, more after every accusation, we all just kind of started to roll our eyes about it. And then as the, you know. LGBT for Trump movement kind of started to get going, especially towards um, this year for, for the election, um, it's become laughable how ridiculous these accusations
0: have become. Let me start with one general question before we get into some specifics from your book. If you take out, because obviously one of the main focuses of the LGBT uh, movement, the, the groups involved there, have been specific issues like gay marriage, uh, like uh, you know parental rights and, and all of these things. If you remove those things, though, for a second and just take the profile of the average gay dude, the average lesbian, whatever you want to say, what are the politics? What's the What would you say generally are the politics of these groups? Are they are they more conservative leaning outside of those issues?
1: You know, this is difficult because uh, we don't really study them. We don't talk to them. Uh, it's only been a, the past couple of years that we've even started to talk about gay conservatives as anything but a novelty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, LGBT movement is, is largely progressive in what they care about. So, you know, you're going to hear a lot more AOC type stuff from them. But if you think about the average gay person that really doesn't care about politics, uh, they only see what they see on media and in LGBT media, all they see is, you know, that, you know, literally Hitler is about to put them (laughs) in camps. And then when they see regular media, regular media just repeats whatever LGBT media says. So Mm -hmm. even though their regular lives are not really impacted at all, um, I think they they have this you know it's gonna happen eventually kind of mindset. There's always this fear and a, a panic and anger that's bubbling up um, from the LGBT side of it. But I don't you know I don't know how people who aren't in politics really view that. You know I'm I'm in it every day.
0: Um, uh, let me start with a couple of uh, of claims that are specific from your book. One that came up uh, in a, in a, one of the recent I believe it was the, the town hall with Joe Biden um, and. I was sitting there on the News and Why It Matters uh, this, this past week, and someone mentioned the violence against uh, the trans, transgendered people. And I, I started talking about, I started listing these stats, and I'm thinking to myself, there's only been you know, this many, and most of those don't look like hate crimes. And I realized I was quoting you. I was, I was thinking to myself, I read an article from Chad Felix Green where he explained this and really broke it down. Can you kind of go into this a little bit? It's really fascinating because we are told, basically, if you are, especially if you're a a transgendered person of color, you walk down the street, someone's going to try to kill you. Uh, That isn't exactly accurate, though, is it?
1: No. Uh, And, you know, if you look at it just from a purely statistical way, uh, there have been about 150 or so, 151 uh, actual lethal violence cases reported since 2015. That's everything. Uh, and that's you know 0.001% of the transgender population. Just the transgender population would experience violence. So if they were all hate crimes, there's nothing that a government could do to prevent them because it's such a rarity in, in reality. But when you look at them case by case, the truth is the majority are based on um, the co- consequences of domestic violence, sex work, and drugs. Uh, there have been five. Um, I've reviewed every single case since 2015 uh, and based on all the information that you have, there have been five that have been hate crimes, and the majority of those have been under the scenario of somebody hooking up online, finding out that a trans woman is physically male, and then reacting violently to them and, and killing them. And so far, all the people that have been in that scenario, all the murders, have been sentenced to prison for decades. So the question that I have is, is it's not a question of, justice. It's not that the justice system dismisses these cases. It's not that transgender victims are tossed to the side or ignored. It's there just isn't a hate element like we, you know, were led to believe with Matthew Shepard, you know, 20 years ago, that started this idea of gay people are targeted and, and, and then transgender people are targeted. Um, And if you look at HR – if you look at the HRC, the Human Rights uh, Campaign and and other LGBT sources, you're starting to see now that when they talk about these murders, they frame them into sociological concepts of you know, these fall under the larger violence towards transgender people like inequality and and housing and healthcare and so forth. It's – they're realizing that they have to couch these sort of things, which some of them are – accidental gun deaths some of them are police involved you know uh, a transgender man comes out waving a knife at a gun at a police officer gets shot and they call that a, a transgender murder mm. some of them have been victims of mass shootings they just were one of the people that were killed in the mass shooting but it's considered a transgender murder so you have to question every single one of these headlines and joe biden is recently um promising to somehow comprehensively attack all of this and stop the violence towards gender transgender people but if you think about it logically it isn't really possible because it's so rare
0: Mm, that is I mean, that is a fascinating breakdown in the exact opposite of what the media tells us. And, you know, from someone who's looked through every single one of these, you could tell. I mean, there's there, I mean, the mass shooting one is, is completely ridiculous. Like that is not a hate, I mean, it's a hate hate crime in one way. You don't shoot a lot of people unless right. you hate them. Uh, but it's not the traditional thing. I, we've seen the same thing, I think, that's happening uh, with you know racism and white supremacy, where. These words are being redefined to just capture a bunch of new things so that we can vilify larger groups of people. This is not a it's not a healthy it's not a healthy instinct for society.
1: It isn't. And it, and it keeps people
0: afraid. Um,
1: I, one there was there was a, a, a vigil for one of the victims uh, a couple years ago, and they interviewed a transgender woman who was afraid to go to the vigil because she was terrified that right-wing activists were going to show up and start killing people. Mm -hmm. Um, She said that she's afraid every day for her life because all she sees are these stories of how dangerous it is out there. And that's what to me is the most frustrating is. There isn't really any legal consequences that they can impose. I mean, The Equality Act would be even more devastating than Bostick's decision, in my opinion, in terms of uh, harming religious freedom, but really, Violence against transgender people is already illegal. We can't really make it any more illegal. But all of these people are living in fear when they live in the freest country in the world where they get to walk down the street dressed any way they want to and live out how they want to and legally change their, their gender, and, and, and they're protected for doing so. Yet they live in fear because of these media lies, their, their intentional deceptions.
0: Yeah, it really feels like, you know, as you think as things get better for everyone, people would have their fear level lowered. And what seems to happen is instead their fear stays the same or increases. It just becomes about less consequential things like we start fear people are terrified because someone might go tear you know they're terrified at the statue and the way that it's oppressing them and so they have to go tear it down these are like that person used to exist and actually did those bad things maybe several hundreds of years ago now we're at a place where the people are just upset at the statue i think that's an an ongoing thing with society i do want to hit you though with a couple more claims from your book before we run out of time again um uh lara or excuse me mary trump is President Trump's niece. She wrote some book. I don't understand why anybody bought it. Like, why you would care what a random family member thinks of Donald Trump, I don't know. But she made a claim that basically it's absurd that Donald Trump is actually accepting of different people when it comes to the LGBT community because he basically hates everyone. There's no way to disprove that, I suppose. But, I mean, is there any evidence to support it?
1: No. um, I don't even think she's ever met him. Uh, and, and, you know, in the quote she's, that uh, she was interviewed by The Advocate, they said that she doesn't even think that Trump knew she was gay. But her beliefs about him were that he doesn't like people who are different and he's and essentially parroting what the media says about him, that he's intolerant and bigoted and all this sort of stuff, which doesn't really line up with his career or, or the people that know him personally. Um, she even cites that her grandmother once said something uh, homophobic. And that it proved that her whole family was intolerant, and and therefore Trump was too. But what's interesting is that what she quotes from her grandmother is complaining about Elton John, which Trump himself praised Elton John's wedding and celebrated his wedding in 2005 on his personal blog. Uh, So it seems to be a lot from her own imagination of what she has imagined this person is rather than anything she knows for fact.
0: Uh, and let me hit you with one more here. Because when this happened, especially the way it was done, uh, I even thought, eh, I, don't, I don't like this, which was uh, he, Donald Trump saying that he was going to ban transgendered people from the military. Now, part of it was... Donald Trump just tweeting it like randomly. The military didn't seem to have any advance notice. Like there was a lot of process reasons uh, there was a problem there. But the left says that, you know, look, he banned transgender people from the military. This proves without a shadow of a doubt that he is hateful. Uh, How do you answer that claim? Because, I mean, he did absolutely tweet that he was going to uh, he was no longer going to let new transgendered people into the military. What's the defense of that?
1: Well, the truth is, is that uh, you have to look at what the policy says, and once you look into the policy, you realize that it's a it's a medical eligibility decision. It's not an identity decision. When gay people were not allowed to be in the military, uh, it was something like if you were found out to be gay, then you could be removed. And I think that's what people think of. That's why even people on the right who uh, may not think of – may not support the military being a social experiment kind of you know cringed at the idea of, wait, we're just going to ban people because they're transgender. Mm-hmm. But he didn't actually ban people because of their gender identity. Um, people who were already in the military who were transgender were not affected. What he did is after going through a lot of research on the back end, they made the decision that things like gender dysphoria, which has incredibly high – suicide rate associated with it, even before and after transitioning, um, the cost and the impact of hormone treatment and transition and so forth, that it was a medical condition that disqualified a person from being able to be eligible to the military, which is true for the majority of people who want to join the military. They're, they're typically not able to because of medical reasons. But it was framed in such a way that it sounded like it was targeting transgender people. I do think that there is some legitimate questions about uh, people who have fully transi- transitioned, especially uh, women who have transitioned to men and their physical capabilities of of serving. I think that it's something that we should continue to talk about. But under the Obama years, what we saw was the opposite. We saw men declaring themselves that they that they were now women, uh, being moved to women's, you know, barracks, being held to women's standards, uh, dressing as women. Uh, even, you know, without any transition at all, and all of that being mandated and protected and people had to, you know, go against their better judgment to re- recognize it. And I think that this was sort of a backlash to that sort of extreme response that now they've actually taken it back a little bit more and they've been a little bit more reasonable about it. So I think it's going to be something that evolves in the future. But in my book, um, I may, I dev- d- dedicate a chapter to talking about this because, Although it's not anti-gay and it's not necessarily anti-transgender, it certainly isn't beneficial to transgender Americans who do want to serve in the
0: military. Mm. Uh, Chad Felix Green, the author of the book is Without uh, the book is without Context, Evaluating the Anti-LGBT Claims Against the Trump Administration. Before you go, Chad, you've been in the middle of working on these LGBT issues and politics here, obviously, for a long time with this group. You've gone through uh, for this book. You've gone through a million of these claims. Uh, what was the vote percentage for LGBT Americans for Trump in 2016? And what do you think it's going to be this time?
1: In 2016, it was um, about 14, maybe 15 percent mm-hmm. uh, of LGBT people voted. Uh, recent polls have shown um, it moving between 20 to 45 percent of who are verbally saying that they will vote. Uh, on the conservative end, in terms of registered voters, we're seeing it's about 20 percent. So it is increasing. Um, Because LGBT has moved more from just supporting gay marriage and and basic rights like that, or basic ideas of rights, to being much more progressive. And a lot of LGBT people just aren't on board for that. And Trump has been very beneficial to a lot of non-LGBT-specific things like taxes and security and immigration and, and business and economic growth that are important to people, regardless of their sexuality or their gender identity.
0: Mm, Really interesting, Chad Felix Green. Chad, thanks for coming on the program, man, I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. (laughs) All
0: right, back in a second. So there's a new documentary on uh, YouTube about Paris Hilton. Have you seen this or heard of it at all? And I'm not talking about the documentary from a few years ago where certain acts were documented. I'm talking about an actual documentary that's out. And it's kind of, you know, I guess it's an effort maybe to paint Paris Hilton as like an adult, right? Like she, you know, she's you got kind of this like college girl who was ditzy and was on TV all the time. And now she's, she's a woman and she's a lot smarter than you thought she was. And that's kind of the, the, the pitch of the documentary. Um, and I will say, was it my choice to watch the Paris Hilton documentary? No. But I will say I love documentaries and I can get it. I can get something out of any documentary. So I'm watching the Paris Hilton documentary and they're going through the part where she has this sex tape released many years ago. uh, And, you know, she's kind of presenting it now. I mean, if you think about that incident here is think of how this incident would play out today, right, where Paris Hilton has sex with her boyfriend. They break up after they've broken up. He starts selling the sex tape on his website. Like, you wanna talk about something that would be handled a lot differently in the Me Too era, right? This would be. And I thought to myself, one way to make sure this never happens to you is never take a picture of yourself naked. This is a crazy idea, and I'm pitching this to you youngsters out there. Here's an idea. Maybe your parts shouldn't be on camera. This is a weird idea. It's a little foreign to a lot of people, But maybe, you know, we're like, oh, well, I was with uh, it was in the privacy of my relationship. Maybe it should just stay in the privacy of your relationship. And maybe you shouldn't let him or her watch it later. Maybe you're kind of gross and we don't need to see pictures of your stuff. I'm just throwing it out there. I also want to throw this out here, not only to you youngsters, but also to you CNN contributors. Jeffrey Tubin in particular, Uh, Jeff uh, had an issue. Uh, Was on a Zoom call. New Yorker. uh, He's he works for the New Yorker as well as CNN. He was uh, on a Zoom call between members of the New Yorker and WNYC radio. And um, he was on a Zoom call. We've all been on Zoom calls, right? It's during the quarantine. You're at home. You kind of maybe you're throwing on just your PJs. Uh, you're not really dressed up. You're maybe enter. I always, I always go in audio only. No one wants to see me. I mean, I, I, I don't understand you people watching on YouTube. I understand the podcast people don't understand the YouTube people. Why are you looking at these visuals? They're awful. Uh, but apparently, uh, he believed this is his quote. I believed I was not visible on zoom. I thought no one on the zoom call could see me. I thought I had muted the zoom video. Why is that an issue? Well, apparently I'm trying to get the exact quote here. Um, he said he's been suspended. He apparently, I guess, stood up and exposed himself on the zoom call with the journalists. Now, why was he doing that? Was it because he was just changing into his, uh, you know, his, his, his dress pajamas? I don't know. Uh, but, uh, he's been suspended. He says it was an embarrassingly stupid mistake. He thought he was off camera. He apologized to his wife, family, friends and coworkers. You know, I hate to put that in your mind. We're going to spend as short, that's as much time as I want to spend on that story. Okay? Just remember, next time you're watching on CNN, anything could happen while you're watching. Back in a second. Did you know our cells are the foundation of our health and make us who we are? And one of the most important building blocks of our cells. is called NAD, which is vital for things like sleeping, breathing, eating, and drinking. As we age, our bodies don't continue to make NAD, but luckily, there's a way to boost your levels thanks to True niogen. True niogen helps counteract with the effects of time on your body by promoting cellular repair. It also helps with healthy aging. Taking True niogen also helps you with the cellular defense in the face of stresses such as alcohol consumption, which I don't think that is a stress. That's a way to relieve stress. I'll have to talk. I, mean, I know there's scientists and stuff over there, but I'm going to have to talk to them about that one because I'm pretty sure it lowers your stress. But there's immune stress as well. It's trying to help you with that. Give yourselves a boost with True Niagen. Right now, new customers can save 20 bucks off a three month supply by going to slash stew. T R U dot T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com slash stew. The slash stew part of the address, of course, is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. TrueNiogen.com slash stew. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's trueNiagen.com slash stew. So Joe Biden, uh, his new tax rate is going to get taxes if you're in New York up to 62 percent. Congratulations. That's right there for the taking. You can just vote for Joe and get that 62 percent tax rate. But I combine that with this Mark Hamill story, uh, the guy who played Luke Skywalker. He says Biden is like Luke Skywalker. The force is strong with Joe. First of all, I don't remember Mark Hamill, you know, or Luke Skywalker ever talking about a 62 percent tax rate. Like that was not a big pitch from the rebellion. They weren't like, let's raise taxes to 62%. I don't remember that at all. And secondly, I mean, if Joe Biden is any character in Star Wars, it's the emperor, right? Like he's a zillion years old and he keeps coming back over and over and over and over again, even when you don't want him. Back in a second. (laughs) Do you have a home? Would you like a home? Do you want to sell your home? Do you have some real estate needs? Then you need realestateagentsitrust.com. realestateagentsitrust.com is a company that Glenn started many years ago now um, to make this process easy. You know, there's just a hole in the market where you just kind of have to rely on ads or like acquaintances to try to find a real estate agent that can actually handle your largest financial transaction. Isn't that strange? Isn't that a strange way to go about it? We think so much about screening people for the different jobs. You know, you get someone to come over and, and do work at your home. You're going through, you know, all these websites and trying to sort all that out. You can do all of that with real estate agents at one place. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now. Get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. My Andrew Cuomo thread about his actions in March 10,000 retweets plus, 20,000 likes because of you. Thank you so much for going and sharing it. You can get your Andrew Cuomo is Awful mug at stewdoesmerch.com or andrewcuomoisawful.com. We will see you tomorrow.